So we're in a series entitled uh, Seeds and Soil. And I told you last week I was driving down Highway 1 and, and saw the sign on the side of the road that said, Fall is for planting trees, shrubs, and perennials. And it struck me that there are seasons to plant and there are seasons to plant things that will last and things that will produce fruit. And I believe this is one of those seasons. I believe this is a season that if you'll plant the right kind of seed on purpose, God will produce something in you and through you that will be a blessing way beyond yourself, way beyond this moment, something that, that will absolutely, incredibly push your future. We have to have eyes to the future. We, we've got to, to invest wisely and strategically beyond today. We want to invest in things that will continue to produce fruit. That, that's, uh, it's a wise investment. And, and uh, God is calling us to do that in a spiritual sense as well as a natural sense. Right? And so fall is for planting, and, and planting takes both seeds and soil. Every seed is not equal. Every soil is not equal. In fact, every, every uh, water is not equal. I remember being on my cousin's farm in Illinois, and he was taking us on this huge machine. I, I mean, I'm, we're sitting way up, and, and he's like spraying stuff. And I said, what are you doing? He said, well, I'm watering. I said, okay. Don't you just let rain do that? He said, no, no, this, this is uh, purified water. I'm like, really? You buy this stuff? He said, yeah, we, we pay a lot of money for the purified water because it has the right nutrients in it. It has the right nitrogen, oxygen levels or something like that. Yeah, that stuff. <laughs> and and uh, I'm thinking... Wow, if it's that big a deal, then how much bigger of a deal should it be that we get the pure water of the word in us on a daily basis that, that causes growth to happen, right? And so here, here we go, you know, we're looking at, at seeds and, and seeds are a big deal. They contain in them what they will become if they're planted in the right soil. They don't look like much, right? Jesus talked about the, the smallest seed in those people's bag, and it was a mustard seed. And he's like, doesn't look like much. It's small, but, but when planted, it produces a mustard tree, and the birds of the air can come and light in it. It produces mustard. It, it, has, it produces thousands, probably millions of mustard seeds. And so that little bitty thing, and he, he's talking about faith, but, but what he's saying is there's something in that little seed if planted in the right place, if taken care of, it can produce an incredible harvest. And I believe God is calling us to, to plant the right kind of seed on purpose. The decisions we make, they're seeds. Every decision that you make in life is a seed. The decisions you make today will affect your tomorrow. The seeds you plant today will bring you a harvest, either of good or of bad tomorrow. What you plant in this season, what you decide in this season of your life will determine who you will become in the next season of your life. And so we need to begin to plant the right kind of seed 
in the right kind of soil. And we looked at Daniel chapter 1 and, and these, these uh, teenage boys, and I, I just, it's one of my favorite stories. And it, it's, what I love about this, and I love about all this, the uh, reality stories in the Bible, is the fact that the people living the story didn't know what the outcome was going to be. They hadn't read it before. Right? Because we got the spoiler alert, right? We read it. We know the end. There's no big, no big drama. We're like, oh, yeah, they're going to get out. They're gonna, everything's going to be okay. Everything's fine. But they didn't know that. They had no clue. They're just walking. They're walking by faith and not by sight. They're, they're living this moment, and it's a real moment. It's not a fake moment. This is real life stuff. And, and we find here during the third year, in Daniel chapter 1, verse 1, during the third year of King Jehoiakim's reign in Judah, who was the good guy, Judah was the good place, King Nebuchadnezzar, Nebi, the bad guy, of Babylon, the bad place, came to Jerusalem, the good place, and besieged it. And then verse 2, mind blown, the Lord gave him victory over King Jehoiakim of Judah and permitted him to take some of the sacred objects from the temple of God, capital G God. The Lord permitted. And let me just stop and say this. Anything that comes your way, anything, you may look at it and say, that's not good, or that's fabulous. Anything that comes your way, has to go through the filter of Almighty God. And he will either permit it or he won't permit it. The Lord gave the bad guy victory over his own people and permitted the bad guy to take some of the sacred objects from the temple of God. So Nebuchadnezzar's walking around like, I'm the man, I'm, and God's like, no, oh no, uh-uh, I'm using you to do something here. I'm allowing you some freedom because I've got a bigger plan. God always has a bigger plan. You need to know that. God always has a bigger plan than what you can see. Because we just see here, he's got the whole view. So Nebuchadnezzar took them back to the land of Babylon and placed them in the treasure house of his God, little g, God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, the chief of the staff, to bring to the palace some of the young men, Judah's royal family, other noble families who had been brought to Babylon as captives. Uh, history tells us that these young men were around 18 years old. And he said, select only strong, healthy, good-looking young men. Yeah. Make sure they're well-versed in every branch of learning, gifted, knowledge, good judgment, suited to serve in the royal palace. Then train these young men in the language and literature of Babylon. The king assigned them a daily ration of food and wine from his own kitchens. They were to be trained for three years, and they were to enter the king's royal service. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah were four of the young men chosen, all from the tribe of Judah. The chief of staff renamed them with these Babylonian names. Daniel was called Belshazzar. Hananiah was called Shadrach, Mishael was called Meshach, Azariah was called Abednego. 
In those days, your name meant something. It, it was a big deal. Daniel's name meant God is my judge. Belshazzar meant whom Bel favors. Bel was a little god. Not a real god. A little named god. Hananiah meant beloved of the Lord. Shadrach, illumined by the sun god. Mishael, who was of God. Meshach, who was like Venus. Azariah, the Lord is my help. Abednego, the servant of Nego. And I told you last week, and I'll just say it again today. People are going to start speaking names over you. In fact, people have. They're going to call you something that you are not. They're going to call you something you are not. And if you're not careful, you'll begin to believe what people call you. If you're not careful, you'll begin to hear the voice of those around you saying, this is who you are. And God says, no, that's not who you are. I've set you apart for greatness. You're my child. You're the head and not the tail. You're above and not beneath. You are chosen. You are chosen by God. You're a child of the living God. And, and sometimes we can hear the voices of those around us. And, and last week I talked to you about just coming up front here and laying those old names down. And picking up the name that God has for you. And walking out of here different. Some of you did. My wife did. And she said, you know, it's interesting. I, I didn't put down the names that I was called as a kid. So I got over those a long time ago. She said, but just recently, people close to me have named me things that I'm not. I just put it down there and said, that's not who I am. I'm not living that anymore. I'm walking out of here. Christy, child of the living God. Fabulous person. Because that's who God says I am. And he's named me. And I will take his name. I will not stand for what anybody else has to say about me. Except what God has to say and what God's word has to say. Some of you, before you leave this house today, you need to walk up here, lay down the names. I'm not Belshazzar. I'm Daniel. Come on. I am who God says I am. I am highly favored. People are going to tell you you're less than. You, you can't. You're bad. You, you've done whatever. And it's going to stick with you the rest of your life. And you can look them in the eye and say, oh, no. Oh, <laughs> Absolutely not. Because my God has called me by name. I'm his. And I'm coming out of what I was. I'm going to be who he says I am. Thank you, Lord. You are who God says you are. And I'll just tell you this, you need a community of believers around you who will remind you of who you really are. You need some good seed planters in your life. Verse 8 says, but Daniel was determined not to defile himself. Another translation says, Daniel made up his mind. Another translation says, Daniel purposed in his heart. He, he resolved 
not to defile himself. He made a very strong decision, and because of his decision, all of a sudden, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael are all falling in line going, we're doing what Daniel did. We're in. And they're looking at each other going, you, you, you're not going to eat and drink? Really? Okay, okay. If you're not, oh, I'm, I'm not either then. It's the power of a tribe. It's the power of having some people around you who can speak life into you. It's the power of somebody standing up. Somebody's got to be a ringleader. I, I followed a ringleader in high school. And then I realized, why am I following someone when I could be a ringleader and lead the way God wants me to lead? I don't have to follow what somebody else says because when I followed, I got myself in trouble, I can tell you. They took me places I didn't want to go. They were doing things I didn't need to be doing. And I was guilty by association. You know what I'm talking about. And yet we can flip that story and say, by God's grace, I'm going to step up and be the man or woman of God that he's designed me to be, and I will not back down. I will not bend. I will not give in to the pressure. And all of a sudden, one, Daniel, became four. Hey, guys, come on. Yeah. And all of a sudden, these four guys, they took a stand. Daniel determined not to defile himself by eating the food and the wine given to them by the king. He asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat these unacceptable foods. He planted the seed in his friend's life. And you know, the, the guy in charge is like, dude, you're going to get my head cut off. I'm going I'm to be in trouble. And Daniel spoke with the attendant, verse 11, who had appointed by the chief of staff to look after Dan, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Please test us for 10 days on a diet of vegetables and water. Daniel said, end of the 10 days, see how we look compared to the other young men who are eating the king's food. Then make your decision in light of what you see. The, the attendant agreed to Daniel's suggestion, test them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, Daniel and his three friends looked healthier and better nourished than the young men who had been eating the food assigned by the king. So after that, the attendant fed them only vegetables instead of the food and wine provided for the others. And verse 17 says, God. And when you take a stand for God, all, God always takes a stand for you. God gave these four young men an unusual aptitude for understanding every aspect of literature and wisdom. And God gave Daniel the special ability to interpret the meanings of visions and dreams. And when the training period ordered by the king was completed, three years later, the chief of staff brought all the young men to King Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and no one impressed him as much as Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the royal service. Whenever the king consulted them in any matter requiring wisdom and balanced judgment, he found them ten times more capable than any of the magicians and enchanters in his entire kingdom. Ten times more capable. How does that happen? I believe it begins with seeds planted in our lives. 
people used to say to me, and, and I, you know my sister Rochelle, uh, Tim and Rochelle Enlow. They used to say to, to us and, and my brother Doug and my sister Starlene, so you guys are a little cocky. No, not cocky. We just know who we are. I don't need anyone else's approval because I have God's approval. I don't need someone else to come and build me up because he has built me up. And my parents at a very young age began to speak life into us, began to, to pour into us who we were in Christ. And because of that seed that was planted in us at a very young age, we, we grew into something that was beyond our own ability. And I'm here to tell you today, same can happen in you and in your family. And God has called us to be seed planters. Family is a vital seed planting hotbed. Our children's ministry is a, a vital seed planting hotbed. Our youth ministry is a vital seed planting hotbed. We must invest in the next generation. We've got to pour into their lives all that God has, has for them. We've got to have a community of believers pouring into us, planting, watering, fertilizing, weeding, there's some things you got to know deep down inside your spirit. There's some things that you got to know deep down in your knower that nobody can rip out. Nobody can talk you out of. Lisa Turkhurst says, I remember when I was sure that a lady at the gym hated me. She'd been working out on the machine beside me when she suddenly abandoned her elliptical and huffed over to the treadmill. Apparently I had gotten on her last good nerve. But then one day she smiled at me, like a real smile, almost as if she wanted to encourage me. And suddenly I realized she had no crazy feelings toward me at all. It had all been a perception thing on my part. And so many times we assign thoughts to others that they never actually think. We hold them accountable to harsh judgments that they never make. And we own a rejection from them they never gave us. She says, this is why we have to choose to live loved. Look at your neighbor and say, live loved. Say it louder. Live loved. Look at your other neighbor. Tell them, live loved. She says, it's a phrase I saw on an author friend of mine write in a book she was signing, live loved. Not only an instruction, but a proclamation. Live from the abundant place that you are loved and you won't find yourself begging others for scraps of love. It's not deciding in your mind, I deserve to be loved or manipulating your heart to feel loved, it's settling in your soul. I was created by a God who formed me because he so very much loved the very thought of me. When I was nothing, he saw something and declared it good. 
very good, and very loved. She says, this should be the Genesis thought of every new day. I am loved. You might want to write that down. Post it somewhere where you see it every morning. I am loved and I choose to live loved. Not because of how terrific we are. God doesn't base his affection on our wilted efforts. No, God's love isn't based on us. It's simply placed on us. It's the place from which we should live loved. At the core of who we are, we crave the acceptance that comes from being loved. To satisfy this longing, we will either be a grasper of God's love or a grabber of people's love. If we grasp the full love of Christ, we won't grab at other things to fill us. She says this is true on the days we feel it. It's still true when we don't feel Jesus' love at all. If we live rooted and established in his love, we don't just have knowledge of his love in our minds, but it becomes a reality that anchors us. Though winds of hurt and rejection blow, they cannot uproot us and rip us apart. His love holds us. His love grounds us. His love is a glorious weight preventing the harsh words and hurtful situations from being a destructive force. We feel the wind but aren't destroyed by it. And I got to say that's what was established on the inside of these four young men. They weren't caving in because they were convinced and filled up on the inside. Paul the Apostle in Ephesians chapter 3 talks about this kind of fullness. Ephesians 3 verse 14. He says, when I think of all this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. And here's his prayer for the Ephesians and his prayer for us. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. And then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide and how long and how high and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. There's power in really knowing this. It isn't dependent on what we've accomplished or on another person loving us or accepting us. Nor is it because we always feel full. We are full. 
Because Christ brought the fullness to us. Sadly, in the fog of our fear, we forget that God loves us. Sometimes we get in moments and somebody's yelling a name at us. We forget, wait a minute, I'm loved. And I'm choosing to live loved. I'm loved by God. God has big plans for me. He's got a future for me. He's got a hope for me. He, he has plans for me. Don't forget that God loves you. Lisa goes on to say, most of us have been made to feel like we don't belong at some point in our lives. It's a bummer to be left out, not chosen, and overlooked, especially when someone of great significance in our lives makes us feel like our belonging is more of a question mark than a security blanket. And in an attempt to find relief from the pain of rejection, many of us slip into a life of achieving and performing, revving up our to-do lists in the hopes of earning love, we run at a breakneck pace to try and achieve what God simply wants us to slow down enough to receive. How it must break his heart when we walk around so desperate for a love he waits to give us each and every day. Imagine a little girl running with a cup in her hand, sloshing out all it contains. She thinks that what will refill her is just ahead just a little farther. She presses on with sheer determination and clenched teeth and an empty cup clutched tight. She keeps running toward an agenda God never set and one that will never satisfy. And she sees him and holds out her cup, but she catches only a few drops as she runs by him because she didn't stop long enough to be filled up. Empty can't be tempered with mere drops. The tragic truth is what will fill her, what will fill us isn't the accomplishment or the next relationship just ahead. That shiny thing is actually a vacuum that sucks us in and sucks us dry, but never has the ability to refill. She says, I should know because that's where I've been. There's no kind of empty quite like this empty where your hands are full, but inside you're nothing but an exhausted shell. We need to reconnect with the one who knows how to breathe life and love back into depleted and dead places. And I want to run back to the boys in Babylon and remind you that these guys are living loved. It's a place where all of us need to live. It's a place where God has called us to live. But in Daniel chapter 3, we find Nebuchadnezzar Good old Neb, he's built a golden statue. He wants some worship. And so he says, hey, we're going to play some rock music. You guys all bow down, do the whole, ooh. And, and some tattletales come and say, hey, there's some Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whom you put in charge of the province of Babylon. And notice by now in chapter 3, they're no longer called Hananiah, Azariah, Mishael. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The names that were placed on them, the ungodly names, have stuck now. And that's all they're known as. But what hasn't changed is who they are on the inside. What hasn't changed is that they're living loved. 
And they said, they pay no attention to you, your majesty. They refuse to serve your gods. Don't worship the gold statue you've set up. The Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage, ordered that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought before him. And when they were brought in, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you refuse to serve my gods and to worship the gold statue I've set up? Is that true? I'll give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue I've made when you hear the sound of the musical instruments. But if you refuse, you'll be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And then what God will be able to rescue you from my power? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you've set up. And again, I remind you, they don't know what's coming next. They haven't read this story yet. They're living reality. But they don't care. Something inside of them says, God loves me. And I've always talked about this, yet the faith, hope, and love. Faith, our God is able. Hope. And he will. I'm hoping he does. But love, I love him enough, even if he doesn't. It's not changing anything. And I've always said it that way, and, and yet the Lord tapped me on the shoulder to say, but there's another side to this. There's the faith, the hope, and the love, but there's also not just the love for me. There's my love for you. And, and these guys got it. They understood that, that Almighty God loved them so much that it didn't matter what happened. He still loved them. And what was coming was going to be best in the long run. They were living loved. I don't know if you can see this or not. But there was something inside the, of them that said, God loves me and this must be for a reason. He must be going to use this. Neb got so furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, his face became distorted with rage. I don't know how he looked, but he looked pretty bad. He commanded the furnace be heated seven times hotter than usual. He ordered some of the strongest men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, throw them into the blazing furnace. So they tied them up, threw them into the furnace, fully dressed in their pants, turbans, robes, and other garments. Because the king in his anger had demanded such a hot fire in the furnace, the flames killed the soldiers as they threw the three men in. Wow. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, securely tied, fell into the roaring flames. But suddenly Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and exclaimed to his advisor, Hey, 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 whoa. Didn't we tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? Yes, your majesty, we certainly did, they, they said. <laughs> Look, Nebuchadnezzar shot. Look, I see four men unbound, walking around in the fire, unharmed. And the fourth looks like a god. 
What? You go through the fire, he said, I'll be with you. Nebuchadnezzar came as close as he could to the door of the flaming furnace, Shadrach, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stepped out of the fire. The high officers, officials, governors, advisors crowded around them and saw that the fire had not touched them. Not a hair on their heads was singed. Their clothing was not scorched. They didn't even smell like they'd been in a campfire. Nebuchadnezzar said, praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel to rescue the servants who trusted in him. They defied the king's command and were willing to die rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Then he made a decree and said, there's no other god who can rescue like this. Where did Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego get this fight in them? They had some seeds planted by their families. Then Daniel set the pace. Then they became a seed-planting community of four. Then when Daniel wasn't around anymore, it's just the three guys, and there's this pressure to bow. And I can imagine Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego looking at each other going, I'm not bowing, you bowing. I'm not bowing, you bowing. No, I'm bowing. We ain't going to bow. Would Daniel bow his ear? No, we ain't bowing. Something inside of them. They were living, loved. Stand with me, please. As a church, we have the responsibility to be seed planters. We're here to help people find God, to know him find freedom, discover their purpose so they can make a difference, so they can help people know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, make a difference, so they can help someone else know God, find freedom, so they can discover their purpose and make a difference in someone else's life and plant that seed so someone else can know God. Find freedom. Discover purpose. Make a difference. If you just bow your heads for a minute, maybe you're here this morning and you don't know God yet. Oh, you know about God. You, you, you know who he is. You, you've, you've been taught about him, but maybe you don't know him yet. If that's you, I want to introduce you to the God of the universe who walked with these four young men and gave them the ability to stand against an entire nation and win. Jesus Christ wants a relationship with you, a relationship that will change everything, where you can lay down your old stuff and start brand new. If that's you this morning, I want to pray with you. If you just slip a hand up high, say, Pastor, would you pray for me? I want to know, know God today. I want to know God. Yes. 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 Someone else.
Yes. Thank you, Jesus. Someone else, God's speaking to you right now. He said, hey, just come near me. I want, I want, to, I want to get to know you. I want to give you a brand new start. I want to give you a brand new start. Anyone else before we pray? Thank you, Lord. Yes, in the back. Thank you, Jesus. Once you know God, he's going to set you free. Free to be who he designed you to be. Just pray this prayer with me and pray it out loud because the Bible says if we confess with our mouths Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we'll be saved. And so we're going to confess with our mouths today. Say it loud enough so you can hear. Dear Lord Jesus, I come to you right now and I thank you for freedom that you're giving me. I thank you that you've chosen me to be your child. I am a child of God. Jesus Christ is the Lord of my life from this day forward. And I decide today to do what you want me to do, to walk with you hand in hand, to make every decision with you in mind. I love you, Lord. And I thank you for loving me. And I thank you for forgiving me from all my sin. Thank you for giving me a brand new start. Thank you that I am a new creation today in Christ Jesus. I love you, Lord. And I'm going to walk from this place today brand new. Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. Come on, somebody, let's give the Lord praise today.